0: Are we good now? All right. That's a, that's a little bit of a different sound. I should be able to tell whether I'm coming in through the mic. Well, good morning. Hey, it's a great morning at Tri-Cities Church. We're glad that you are here. And uh, if this is your first time here uh, visiting with us. That doesn't happen every Sunday morning. Um, um, but we're glad that you are here. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Tri-Cities. Hey, there should be uh, in the seat in front of you, there's these cards. And we just love to know who's here on Sunday morning. So if this is your first time here. We'd love to have you fill out one of those just to let us know that you're here uh, so that we can be praying uh, with you, for you, and and even anything that's going on in, in your life. Um, we've just, uh, you know, I, I I love to see, right? I, I love to see, and we, we've been talking a lot about prayer. We just finished up a series on prayer here at Tri-Cities Church. Um, I love to see when a community of believers can gather around something in prayer, um, and, and we see God answer in a way that only He can and it's just a special experience that we, that we get as being followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, actually, yesterday I was just thinking about, um, I was thinking about the church and like how I would describe the church and, and particularly uh, Tri Cities Church and the season that we're in as a church. Um, as this morning we're beginning this series where we're kind of talking about who we are as a church. And I was just kind of wrestling with this idea, this thought, like if somebody were asking me, um, um, who is what is Tri Cities Church or who is Tri Cities Church? And and the the idea that just kept coming to me, and it's not totally crystallized or formed, so um, bear with me. But it's this idea that that we are a community of believers, right, that is learning that the fullness of God's joy, right? In the scriptures, uh, uh, Jesus talks about, I've come so that you might have joy, right? The fullness of God's joy might be experienced in and through the community of faith, right? So we're a community of believers, uh, who are coming to understand, right? This is because it's not always logical, especially in our in our world today, right? When there's um, there's televangelists on TV, and maybe the temptation is to roll over and to watch somebody preach on Sunday morning, or to log on to the internet and pick the best best preacher that you've ever heard and listen to his or her sermons every every Sunday. And when the temptation is that, right? Or even to download Tri City's message. Uh, on your phone, off of iTunes, and say, I've done church, right? And that's not what God is is doing at Tri-Cities Church, and that's not what God desires for his church as a whole, right? He desires us to be a community of believers um, that is learning that the fullness of his joy can only be experienced in and through the community of believers. And so as we build relationships, as we communicate with one another, as we Uh, do life with each other in our city groups as we support and encourage each other um when we do that right we're coming to understand the fullness of his joy which isn't found in um ease or material things or any of the things of this world that kind of come down from heaven for us and we write those as blessings right it's found in this community of believers that's going through life together who's headed in the same direction maybe at different places in the journey but headed in the same direction uh, and experiencing the fullness of God's joy and that's a marvelous marvelous thing and hey, this morning we're beginning this new series we're calling it I heart TCC, I Heart Tri-Cities Church, and it's all about uh, becoming a part of the church you love. And if you've been coming here for a while, or if you're totally new this morning, we'd love for you to be here for the next five weeks after this week. It's a six-week series, and we're just simply talking about um, our our DNA, really, uh, as a church, who we are as a church, uh, how we began, why we began, and all those different kinds of things. Now, you may be saying, I've heard this story once before. I attended a partnership class at Tri-Cities Church, um, and you will have heard parts of it, but you wouldn't have heard this part. I, I think that it's essential for us as a church um, to take some time 3 years in we celebrate our 3 year anniversary January 20th 3 years in right to get on the same page to be headed in the same direction so that we're focused toward what God is calling us to do and be in this world so that we can have the biggest impact in our world for the sake of Jesus Christ and so this series is going to be 6 weeks um, starting today uh six weeks you should have gotten a folder when you came in if you didn't uh they have some for you in the back. Uh there's some fill in the blank handouts there so don't fall asleep on me this morning. Uh be sure that you're catching all the, all the blanks. I'll try to catch all the blanks as well. Uh make make sure you're filling those in. Uh and and this is something the reason why we wanted to put this in a folder uh, is and punch Three holes in it so that you can each week you're going to get another one of these things. Now, keep up with your folder. Keep up with the one from this week, uh, your handout from this week. Uh, and uh, we uh, punch these three holes in it so that you can have this right so that you can get this idea of who Tri-Cities Church is and so that you can refer to it. Because here's the reality, right? Um, that we as a church, right, as God's people, we're called to embody, right, to live out the mission and vision of the church, right? And we can only do that as, if we know it. So, like, if you say, "Hey, what's the mission of Tri City Church?" Uh, uh, you know, we all know what we're here for, right? What's the vision of? Oh, yeah. Where are the values? Well, those used to hang on the wall, and oh, they're still on the wall. <clears throat> this, somebody changed those signs. I didn't even know it. Uh, there you go. I was like, those used to hang on the wall. Uh, no, yeah. So yeah. So what's the the values of Tri City Church? Sneaky, sneaky. Uh, some sneaky people are out here. What are the values of Tri Cities Church? Well, hey, they're on the wall, um, and so we're going to talk about all that this morning and why that's important. So let's pray, and then we'll we'll get into our message for this morning. God, we give you thanks this morning that you give us this opportunity to gather here in this place to study the scriptures, to learn what it means to be the church, your church, what it learns to be, uh, what it means to be Tri Cities Church in particular. God, we thank you for the unique vision that you've given us uh, for Tri-Cities Church and the way that you are forming a people who are discovering that the fullness of your joy is found in being a part of the Christian community. It's found in and through friendships and relationships that are built with the people we sit beside on Sunday morning. That's found as we choose sometimes to step outside of our comfort zone. And be in community with one another. That together, as a community, we may be moving closer to you. It's in your son Jesus Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Hey, well, um, so, so, so the vision for Tri Cities Church, right? The vision for Tri Cities Church um, was a vision that was planted by God in in two thousand and one, or thereabout. Uh, two, not 2001, 2011, there about 2011. In fact, it was a vision that God placed on Jamie's heart. Now, at the time, uh, Jamie was who uh, had grown up in East Point, was living in Hateville, but was working at a church in Buckhead, right? And so his life had kind of been a little bit all over the place, and, and he felt that God was calling him to start this new church on the south side of town. Uh, named Tri-Cities Church, and, and there was this central question that that was there that began to crystallize, I think, in his mind and his heart, at least as the story's been relayed to me and as we've talked about it, and, and that question is, what would it look like for the church to love its actual neighbors, right? What would it look like for the church to love, and I think that's the first uh, blank on there, so be paying attention, all right? I'm not going to point them all out. <laughs> what would it look like for the church to love its actual Neighbors, and it was this ideal of uh living on one side of town but driving on the other uh, to the other uh having this crazy commute fighting traffic being exhausted coming home not wanting to go in and watch some TV eat some dinner and go to sleep so you could do it all over again kind of that grind that many of us experience here in Atlanta with the craziness of traffic and commutes and different things and he began to think to himself hey what would it look like for not just for me to love my neighbors but what would it look like for a church now to be here on the south side of town that loved its actual neighbors. And so he began thinking about it and praying about it. And God began to do this cool, uh, 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 I think far beyond any of our imagination work to bring together a team of people that would launch Tri Cities Church. And so it was Paul right there handing out pins. right? Paul from Ohio, but living in College Park um, uh, at the time. And we had this vision for Tri Cities Church. And here was Paul living in College Park. And Paul was a friend of a friend of a friend, right? Nobody uh, really knew him. It we called a friend, and that friend called a friend, and that friend called a friend, and that was uh, Paul. And so Paul came to be a part of Tri-Cities Church, and so it began with this vision that God placed in Jamie's heart, and many of you got on board with that because you knew him and were friends of him or encountered him, and then Paul comes on board, and, and here I was. I'm from right up the street in College Park, but I was living in New Jersey at the time, and um and I guess I, some pastor just mentioned my name to Jamie, so it was I was some guy that someone mentioned to Jamie that Jamie figured he would send an email to, and he sent an email and said, hey, we're starting this multi-ethnic church here on the south side of town, call it Tri-Cities Church, Would you do you want to be a part of it? And I said, yes, no, yes, and uh, long story short, we're not going through the whole story, but we would sit down with you and tell you the whole story if you don't mind sometime uh we love to share uh this story with you over a cup of coffee because it has lots of twists and turns to it um but uh no yes uh, yes no yes right and then we find ourselves back here uh, in, 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 the Tri-Cities area. In fact, when my wife and I was thinking about that this week, as we were thinking about just how Tri-Cities Church started, and it was this ideal of what would it look like for a church to love its actual neighbors. And when we were meeting with our realtor, our realtor kept saying, hey, you know, you, you know what size house and yard and all this you can get out in Douglasville. And we kept saying, no, our church is going to be Tri-Cities Church, East Point, uh, Hapeville, College Park, one of those three cities. And she took us down to, um, uh, these Martha Stewart homes down in Fairburn, a foreclosure. This house was massive, right? Just beautiful. I had lakes and all this kind of stuff. And it was even in our price range. And He said, how about this house? I found this wonderful. You can't say no to this house. And we're like, no, our, our church is like, our church is going to be a church that wrestles with that question. Like, what does it look like for a church to love its actual Neighbors. And so we lived with my parents for a while as we looked for our, for a house, and then we rented a house for a little bit while we looked for a house, and finally got open the door right up the street in East Point. And so this church was was beginning to form, and people were beginning to get on board with this idea of a church that was committed, that had this vision of loving its actual neighbors and there is this belief that was there from the very beginning for this church and this is so fundamental i was trying to think of another way of putting it than like belief but this is a fundamental belief and that's that our our only sure hope is found in jesus christ right that jesus christ is the source of our only sure hope he's the only thing in this world that is for certain Not governments, right? not jobs, not the economy, not any kind of security or weapon or anything that we might have. None of those things are a source of sure hope in this world. Everything that we see, everything that's around us, everything that we know is temporary and changes and will let us down, but Jesus Christ himself. And so there was this this firm belief uh, that's really found in that scripture. I love that scripture that um, Orlando read. This morning in uh, First Peter chapter one, he started in verse three. Listen to this again, because I kind of want to unpack a little bit of what he says there. It says, "Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in His great mercy." He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is, that, that is a powerful way that this, this book of the Bible starts, right? This living hope, right? That is not a hope in something that's ultimately already dead, right? It's not a hope in, in a, in a job. It's not a hope in, um, who's elected as president of our, of our nation. Um, it's not a hope in the, the state, current state of our economy. It's not hope in any of those things, right? It's this living hope that can only be found in Jesus Christ and the resurrection from the dead. Now, why that's so important, this idea of the resurrection from the dead, is that this hope is grounded in something that has already happened, right? It has already happened. Jesus has already risen from the dead. Now, here's what happens in our world often, uh, is that we live our lives placing hope in things um, that were. That were trustworthy yesterday, that we could count on yesterday, but just might fail us tomorrow, right? Um, for instance, if you've ever, uh, um, had to drive or are currently driving a car that every morning you get up and you're just not sure if that car is going to start, right? That's one of those things. When you have to, I've been there, when you have to get ready for work early because you know that that car might not start and you may have to do something or might have to catch a ride from someone, right? and you hope that car is going to going to go right and that hope may be grounded in what it did yesterday but that hope will fail you but what the scriptures are telling us is that the, the, our hope in Jesus Christ is found in one who's already conquered death and the grave, right? There's no failure in Jesus Christ, right? There, there's no letdown in Jesus Christ. Uh, what he has and what he promises to us, our hope in him is already secure, and he's given us the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead as a reality, the fact that it actually happened as a sign that what we have in Jesus Christ, our inheritance in him, is firm and secure, and certain. So it says, praise be to God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It's not going anywhere. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And so it's saying, hey, we're living in this in-between time, right? We're living in this time between um, what God has already done to secure our salvation, right? Our full salvation, this ideal of being um, uh, perfect uh, being in in perfection in a perfect place in heaven with God, all of our needs being met, no worries, no anxiety, uh, n- no more need to hope because we 're living in the in the presence of God, the full presence of God, no more need to of hope of something that is to come, but we, we will already be there right that that 's already secure for us in heaven, right, and that never perishes, spoils or fades, right but we 're living in this in between time that we're living in between the idea that God has already done it, he's already saved us, but in reality we're still being saved into what God has already done, into this perfection and completeness where there's no more pain and no more worry, no more anxiety, no more brokenness. But all is healed, all is well, all is right. Right? And then look at what it says when it, it continues on in verse six. In this, right, in all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer all kinds, of, uh, suffer grief in all kinds of trial. So we do have grief here, right? We do have trouble here. There's trouble in this world, um, but God has already overcome it. And so the scriptures are unpacking for us this sense of hope, right? That that alters our perspective. That's found in Jesus Christ. This is one of the reasons why I say um, um, that the fullness of our joy can only be found in and through the Christian community. And that's that. uh, It's in this community. um, It's in this community that we're made strong for the challenges of life, right? It's is in the Christian community that we're made. Strong for the challenges of life. Because here, if you isolate yourself from the Christian community, right, when the when the, when life overwhelms us, right? When things get tough, if we're isolated from a Christian community, right? If we're just rolling over and flipping on the TV, right? If we're just logging on and listening to some preacher preach. Now, I'm not, uh, I'm not against logging on to the internet. I, I still do it myself. I, I know some guys that can preach some fiery sermons, um, that, that, that encourage me and light a spark under me and motivate me and teach me something. You know, I'm not against that. What I'm saying though, if we're substituting that reality for the, for the reality, that happens actually in christian community then we're missing out on the fullness of god's joy that's only found in a christian community and so when Trustee's church began let me get back to that we began with this idea that our sure hope could only be found in jesus christ and what that meant for us as a church it meant that transformation right in this world any hope for transformation only could be found, it could only come from Jesus Christ himself, that real transformation, right? Real transformation in this world comes from Jesus. Now, where I wrestle with this, and let me just be just kind of out there, is that um, what we're not saying, um, what we're not saying as a church is, uh, there's there's this sign, this old... um, kind of run down, closed. It's an auto shop, actually, here in the Tri-Cities area. And um, and it says something like, uh, Jesus is the answer to any question, or something like that. It says something, something like, Jesus is the answer. So what, what, we're, what we're not saying, because the way that's often been taken, is that if you have any issue, right if you have any question if you have any problem if there's any social uh, ill or societal um struggle right if there's any anything going wrong in this world um that our response to that is to hand it to jesus right and just trust him and that's the tension that, that the scriptures are calling us to live in because any real transformation comes from jesus christ but the scriptures aren't telling us to just sit on our butts and wait on jesus christ to transform our community that's not what the te- scriptures are teaching us. The scriptures are teaching us to humble ourselves to do what that scripture say, that song says that we sang. I surrender all to you. That that's not saying I let go, I resign, I'm going to let God do it while I watch. I become a spectator. Right? It's saying I surrender my life to you. That's um, I'm letting go of my strategy for bringing transformation in this community so that I can grab hold of what you want to do in my community. I'm I'm letting go of my plans for my life so that I can grab hold of your plan for my life, so that I can run hard after your strategy, so I can run hard after your plans for my life. So it's not about sitting back and doing nothing and saying, hey, transformation comes from Jesus Christ, so I'm just waiting on it. But it's saying, I'm surrendering my ideas, my plans, my strategy for his So that I can work hard for that. Right? Last, last couple of weeks ago, we finished up that series on, on prayer, and there's that quote that's just been kind of resonating in my head going back and forth. And it's that, that ideal of, um, pray like, pray like it all depends on God, but work like it all depends on you. And the scriptures are calling us, the church, to be a, a church that's worn out. Because we're working so hard for transformation in our communities, but that transformation ultimately is found in Jesus Christ, in his plans, in his vision. So we're saying, hey, I surrender to you. I'm reading the scriptures. I'm praying. I'm involved in this community. and, And we're listening for God and allowing him to place ideas and vision and hope upon our heart, and then we're going hard after that. So here's the beginning of Tri Cities Church, this church that wanted to actually love its neighbors, that believed that our only sure hope was found in Jesus Christ, and and it believed, and we believed uh, very firmly that this real transformation would come from Jesus. And so this means, right? This means that our our mission is Jesus' mission, right? And that Jesus' mission was God's mission, right? That our mission is Jesus, as a church, right? That our mission is is Jesus' mission. We have the same mission as Jesus Christ. So our mission is the same mission as Jesus Christ. And Jesus' mission was the same mission as God's, right? And so when we read in the scriptures, we see that Jesus was all about helping people find their way back to God, right? And so our mission has lined up totally with God's mission in this world, with what God is doing in this world. So um, there's, there's, when you're starting, when you're when you're starting a church, this is what you do, right? (laughs) Um, when, When you're starting a church or you even think about any organization, right? Organizations have mission statements. They have uh, vision statements. They they come to any successful organization, kind of has this crystal clear ideal of this is who we are, right? This is who we're going to be, right? As it, as it's beginning to start. And so often for churches, it kind of begins in the same way. It's this ideal of thinking about what our mission and vision is as a community. And so for Tri-Cities Church, we began thinking about that uh, from the early days, right? We were thinking and praying and saying, "Hey, God, what's our what's our vision? What's our mission as a church? What's unique about us?" And it's this idea that our mission is the very same mission of Jesus Christ. And we see in the scriptures that Jesus was all about helping people find their way back to God. That Jesus' mission was all about helping people find their way back to God. Look at look at um in John chapter chapter fourteen. There's this marvelous scripture. It's in John chapter. Um, chapter 14 where jesus is talking with his disciples and this is toward the end of his life uh, or toward the, um, the um, uh, close to before the crucifixion right he's kind of sitting down with them, and he's laying some stuff out for the disciples and you imagine yourself having walked with jesus right for the last three years and he sits down and has this conversation with you and listen to what he says he says do not let your hearts be troubled You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I would have told you that I, I, if it were not so, I would have told you. I would have told you that I am going. I I get, sorry, I get confused, right? Um, I don't know if. This is my confusion here. I get confused for a number of different reasons. But my confusion here is there's different versions of the Bible, and there's one that I grew up on. uh, And I'm like, hold on, that's not what it's supposed to say. All right, um, so so, um, my father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you will also be where I am. You know the way to the place I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus says, and this is a popular verse, right? Um, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me if you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him, right? And there's this verse where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so Jesus' mission on earth was to help people find their way back to God. So he came here and he taught, he showed people how to live life here, but he ultimately wasn't just, um, he just wasn't concerned with moral transformation, right? He wasn't just uh, this ideal of, all right, there's people here on earth that are living their lives the wrong way, so I want them to live differently. So I'm going to come and I'm going to show them how to do that, right? So that people can live the way that I intended them to live, right? He wasn't just concerned with this moral transformation in our society, right? He didn't just want people to stop killing each other, robbing each other, and relationships to be broken. That wasn't God's deal, right? Something Sometimes we reduce uh, the scriptures to that, this idea of this uh, new morality uh, that we live in because of who we believe in. And, and it, is, it, it does mean that our lives change, right? The scriptures do teach us that our lives should be transformed because of what God has done through Jesus Christ. But that's not the end goal, right? That's not the end game, right? That's not what God is pushing us towards. It's just being different here, right? It's this idea that God is calling us back to himself, And Jesus came to show us the way. And to teach us that perfection, wholeness, healing, completeness is found in God. And so he's not just saying, hey, this is the way you ought to live your life while you live here on this earth, because uh, because if you do, people around you will be happy and you'll have a great community and you'll make God smile. But he's saying, hey, this is the way you live on earth because you realize that your life is headed in a particular direction and that's toward that fullness and wholeness and completeness that can only be found in God. And that was Jesus' mission. And he teaches us how that we can have that same mission, how we can have that same mission in our lives uh, today. In, in John chapter 14, I'm going to continue reading in verse 8. Listen to what it says. It says, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And then Jesus answered, don't you know Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who's doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, right? or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Basically, he's saying here is that I've been sent from God and God is so alive within me that as you come to know me, you know God the Father who is in heaven, right? So that I am here and I reveal God the Father to you. Then it says in verse 12, and this is the very important part of this scripture, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Right? So whoever believes in me is going to do kind of the same thing. They're going to step into the same mission that I've been living out in this world. In fact, I'm going to do greater things through them because it's going to be a community of people all over the world who are engaged in God's mission. You see, Jesus was teaching his followers something very important for us to get. And that's that the church doesn't have its own identity and mission, right? Our identity and mission is found in Jesus Christ. And so when we were starting Tri-Cities Church, we had this, this, uh, we, we, we wanted to have some kind of mission statement, some kind of vision statement, but it only served to align us with God's mission and what God is doing in the world. And so our, our mission statement is, Uh, to help people join, I think we got it, yeah, helping people join God's mission in their communities, right, to help people join. So we were like, it's kind of like a false mission statement. It's a mission statement that's not really a mission statement because it's saying, hey, our mission is to push you into God's mission and what God is doing in your community. And so this this idea of community, don't let it deceive you into thinking that your community is your neighborhood, right? We all have multiple communities that we're involved in, right? At your job, there's a community there. It may be on the other side of town from where you live, right? At your school, there's a community there. It may be a long way away from where you live, right? When you hang out with your friends, when you, wherever you are, there's a community around you and God is present there and he's doing work there. And so our mission as a church is to equip people so that they can join in what God is doing in their communities. That's wherever you are, wherever you stand at that moment, right? You're in a community, and there's work that God has for you to do there. So, and then our vision statement is this idea that we don't just want people, um, we don't just want people, uh, just, uh, 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 programming in mission, but doing it every day as they realize that they are the church. And so our vision is to be the church every single day. So as a church, we want to see people who are engaging in God's mission being the church every single day. Because our mission is the same as Jesus' mission, and that Jesus' mission is the same as God's mission. And that that transformation that we desire to see only comes from God. And so as Tri-Cities Church was beginning, we began to think through these things. And we, we do have this mission statement, this vision statement. And what it does is it helps us to think through day-to-day What we should be doing and why we do what we do. So when you think about sermon series and and why do I why does why does why does Wesley preach certain things? Like why is he talking about this? Um, What happens here isn't we check church off our list or we live in obedience to God. But what happens here is we're equipped for mission, right? We're equipped for ministry. That happens. Not, not, it hap- does happen in here, but happens every single day of our lives. And so we become a community of believers that's growing into what God has for us to do in our community. We're growing into that, and we are finding ourselves more and more engaging in uh, conversations, right? Not with with people that that um, might not even believe as we do. But engaging in these confident conversations because we're confident of, of uh, uh, who we are in Jesus Christ, and, and we're telling them about the faith that's captured us, the faith that that's taken hold of our life, right? We're engaging in conversations. We're engaging in acts of kindness. We're living out God's mission. We're doing things without without. Um, without what appear to be without reason in our community but their reason is found in the fact that god is out there in our world and he's called us to join him in what he's doing so that's that's the heart of everything that that we do at tri-cities church now every church though and this is the other part every church looks a little bit different in fact every church has a um has kind of a a uh particular culture. And so we, when we were starting Tri-Cities Church, we began to think like, what do we, what is, what would Tri-Cities Church look like? What would it look like to have a church here called Tri-Cities Church? And, and so every church has a particular culture and every church should have a intentionally unique culture, right? Every church should have an intentionally unique culture culture. And so as we began praying about this and talking about this, we read this book called Church Unique. And this guy, Will Mancini, asked, what makes your church different from 10,000 other churches? And so we wrestled with that question. We prayed about that question. Um, we, we thought about how God had uniquely equipped the team that he was surrounding us with and that um, and, and what needed to be done in our community. And we began asking that question. And out of that came the five values of Tri-Cities Church, these five value words that shape everything that we do and that's really what shapes what we look like as a church and so these five value words you have authenticity, generosity, simplicity, diversity and and grace um, and so these five values began to um, through prayer and to through question and some of you have heard the story and we could turn it tell a longer version, but the story at um, at when we were beginning and we wrestled with that question for an entire day what makes us different from ten thousand other churches we prayed about it, we talked about it, we read about it we um we came we're coming up with these different um uh I, I value words and we went for dinner that night to tony morrow's right over here in college park and we're still talking about it thinking about it and uh and our waitress comes over to, to the table uh and she goes oh, what are y'all talking about and we said hey we're starting a new church uh in, in the tri-cities area and she goes well, what makes you different? Almost exactly to the question we had wrestled with, what makes you different from all these other churches out there, right? What makes you different? from? And it was this ideal of, um, uh, we, we know our values. We know what makes us different, uh, because people want to know, um, people want to know what the church is all about. And so we had these five value words and we said, these things are going to shape who we are as a church. And, who we're becoming as a church and the community that god is is forming here in fact we consider these to be god-given and non-negotiable right there's they're god-given as we prayed about them as we thought about them as as we said god what would you have us who would you have us to be as a church what would you have us to look like and these five value words became crystal clear um these were given to us by god and, and they're non-negotiable there's never a time that we're going to say well um diversity would be nice but it's just not happening, right? No, we're going to pursue that with our all because we believe that that's who God called us to be, a diverse community of faith, that God was doing something at Tri-Cities Church to bring different people together, right? And we're never going to say, well, I guess it's, well, look at the rest not the rest. I, I, I'm not trying to throw shade on other people, but look at the rest of the Christian community, right? A lot of people, they're just masking their their issues and, uh, they, you know, they come to church and they put on a smile and everything's fine, right? And look at the rest, and they're working, all right? No, authenticity is one of our values, right? We want to become a community where people are free and open to live out their faith, right? Authentically to say, this is where I am. I'm a work in progress. God's not done with me yet, right? And that was one of our things from the very beginning that we'd be authentic and these are non-negotiable that's what we're going to constantly be working towards praying towards because that's who god has called us as a church to be now grace grace is a foundational value at tri-cities church right it's a foundational value at tri-cities church because all of our other values, and we'll see this over the next several weeks, right? That all of our va- other values kind of rest upon this idea of grace, be, gra- grace must be there or everything else collapses. Maybe that's a way of saying it, right? Our grace must be there. It must be the foundation because if we stack the other values on top of it, right, they all will collapse. They won't hold up. And so grace is a foundational value, though, because um, we see grace as a foundational value in Jesus's life, right? Grace is a foundational value in Jesus's life. If you look in um, uh, John chapter one, it's just, this great, uh, great passage just kind of opens the gospel of John verse 14, though. Listen to what it says there. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Right? No, don't, don't miss that, right? Because I always read that the uh, Word became flesh. I'm like, yes. That's like the crescendo of this passage, right? The Word became flesh, made His dwelling among us. But listen, He was full of grace and truth, right? Full of grace and truth. And it's this grace that made Jesus approachable. It's this grace that differentiated him from the people who had come before him. It's this grace that differentiated him from the leaders of his day. It's this grace that made people okay to come close to him, to hear him, to listen to him, to learn from him. It's this grace ultimately that shaped and guided Jesus every step as he walked into the ministry that God sent him here for. In Luke chapter, um, Luke chapter 6, I think, um, 7, <clears throat> says somebody. Um, <laughs> Luke chapter 7 And I'm getting there. Uh, Luke chapter 7, there's this wonderful scripture of Jesus in his life. And it's just a snapshot of the kind of grace that he was committed to showing. In Luke chapter 7, verse 36, listen to what it says. Uh, uh, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in the town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Now, let me pause there. Now, the Bible doesn't say what her sin is, at least not right here. Um, but it was a clear and obvious sin that uh, whoever was writing this knew that she had lived a sinful life. Let your imagination run wild with that one. Um, so people knew about it. And she had lived a sinful life. And Jesus was here at a Pharisee's house. Now, the Pharisees were uh, the the, um, legalists of the day, right? They, They were the ones that stuck by the law. They were very judgmental. They would have had nothing to do with this lady. And this lady walks into this Pharisee's house, though, for one reason and one reason alone. Because she had heard that Jesus was there. And she knew of his reputation. And she knew the kind of man that was there. And so she comes into that house. Listen to what it says in verse 38. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. She's repenting at Jesus' feet is what's happening there. She realizes the kind of life that she lives and that she has no reason to be accepted by Jesus, this holy man. But she comes there and she's repenting at, at his feet because the power of his grace is transforming her. And it says, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and the kind of woman she is that she is a sinner. You see, this woman would have had nothing to do with a Pharisee because the door of acceptance had not been opened through grace. But because Jesus came and was born into this world full of grace and truth, right? his reputation as a human being had spread. People knew who he was and the kind of life that he lived. They knew that he was one that was going to accept them and forgive them and love them in spite of what they had done. And that reputation had spread and people were willing to come close to him and come near to him even though everyone in the town knew that they were filled with sin, but those people were still willing to come close to him because of his reputation as one who shows grace. And often the church struggles there and then sits back and asks the question, why does nobody want to have anything to do with us? Because our reputation has spread and the world knows that we're not filled with grace first. first. What we see in Jesus' life is that he was full of grace and truth, that grace was a foundational value in his life, that he was nothing apart from the grace that God intended him to show in this world so that he could be approachable to those who came in encounters with him. Now, I think the struggle with us and, and grace is often we see grace, and Paul answers that in Romans, I think, chapter 5, and again in chapter 6. So you can read that where he says, shall we continue in sin uh, because grace abounds, right? And then he says, by no means, right? Often in this world, grace has looked like we're overlooking, like we're accepting as we're giving our stamp of approval on something. But what we see in Jesus's life is not that grace is a license to sin, but it's a sign that God has already overcome sin in and through Jesus Christ. And so it's not a license. It's not permission for us to say, hey, I, I can continue in my sin because God is full of grace, right? He's already forgiven me, right? And if I do this, God's gonna love me anyway, right? I I can still like I can sin and come back and sin and come back. I can leave and come back. I can right. And so we could we could think in that kind of way and say, Hey, I have permission. I have license. I have the freedom to live in sin. The Bible is teaching us that God has already overcome sin. That is, that sin has no more power over the lives of those who are in Christ Jesus. When the Bible talks about this freedom, it means we have freedom in Jesus Christ, freedom from the power of sin over our lives. The power of sin has been broken. And so who would God be to hold our sin over our heads when he's already broken the power of it over our lives? And so grace should send a powerful signal to us, not that it's okay to continue in our sin and our wrongdoing and our ways that uh, go against the way of God. It's not a sign that we can continue in that, but the fact that God has already overcome it and now we can live a new life. And so looking at time, and we have a number of points to get to in that outline. There's some next steps for us as a church, right? As a church who who believes that transformation comes from Jesus Christ, from him alone, from a church that believes that we want to love our neighbors, right? There's some next steps for us as as a church, a church that believes that grace is a foundational value in Jesus' life and should be a foundation in ours. And I think the first next step for us is to pray about opportunities that you have to be the church right to begin praying about different opportunities that you have to be the church this is this is who god has called us to be to be the church every single day to live out his mission to engage in it and there are opportunities that are before us every single day to show people the love of jesus christ several years ago we preached a series called love is a verb and this idea that love must be wrapped up in an action and so, if we're going to be a church community that actually loves our neighbors, we got to be engaging in action that shows them what that love looks like. I was thinking about just the different neighborhoods that I've lived in—in um, in several different ones. I've here in East Point and down in Milledgeville for a while, and up in New Jersey, and then in College Park, and then back in East Point. And one of the unique things about about our our the neighborhoods we've lived in—we I think we've been blessed in this regard—is that we've all almost always had good neighbors right we 've almost always had good neighbors when we were in Jersey, we had a guy that he would blow our snow for us I, like I bought a snow shovel thing, and I was going to have to scoop it this guy like he had a snow blower, so he just kind of came over and did his deal right um, and and, um, and when we were in Millageville, had this um, atheist neighbor who was just a great neighbor and we had some great conversations and and, and, and the thing that struck me um, is that in in multiple places, multiple neighbors, I encountered people, neighbors who knew how to be a good neighbor. And it wasn't because of faith. It wasn't because God had grabbed hold of their lives. It was just because they liked their neighborhood and they wanted to be a good neighbor. Now, think about If we are a church and we claim to be empowered by God and his spirit to love our neighbors, how much more powerfully do we have to love our neighbors and these good neighbors that I've run into? It has to be a verb. It has to be something that God is challenging us with and we're willing to engage in. We have to engage in specific actions that God is calling us to. So the first thing is to pray about. I want you to pray about how would God have you to let your neighbor know that you love them? Second thing is consider ways that you can contribute to the life of the church, right? that The church, uh, Christian community is so important, but it takes so much to make this happen, right? The different things that you see uh, happening here at Tri-Cities Church, it doesn't just get itself done, right? When, when the floor is clean, the floor doesn't just clean itself, right? We're about to buy a building, right? When light bulbs work, light bulbs don't just... Uh, when somebody greets you at the door, it isn't just you know so somebody volunteers for that. So as we talk about what Tri Cities Church looks like and I heart TCC through this series, we're going to be looking at ways that we can get involved in the church that we love, right? How we can get plugged in and and and, um, and involved here. So consider how you can get involved at Tri Cities Church. What's your next step there, right? What what next step is God calling you to take to make Tri Cities Church happen? Third thing I want you to see is the next step is to identify areas where you fail to show grace and repent. Right? Identify areas where you fail to show grace and repent. You know, it's difficult for us as a people to show grace to people we don't understand. That's just what it means to be human. That's part of the human race. It's just terribly difficult. To show grace to these people. And it'll only happen as we recognize that within ourselves. As we see within ourselves that I have a hard time showing grace to this person because I don't understand his addiction, right? Or I have a hard time uh, to show grace to this person because I don't understand her lifestyle. Or I don't understand why she keeps making the same or he keeps making the same mistake again and again. I just don't understand that. And so as a people, it's difficult for us to show grace to people we don't understand. But the scriptures challenges, challenge us to repent of that. That is to change our mind. That's not just to say, I'm sorry, I failed to show you grace. That's a faulty understanding of what what, uh, repentance is, right? To just say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. But repentance means to have a change of mind, to have a change of attitude towards someone that we don't understand. And because of that change of attitude, we end up treating them differently. That's repentance. And the church needs to repent of some things, because we've failed to show grace. Let's repent together. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks that you accept us, in spite of us, God, that you see our sins, our failures, our flaws. You see the areas and places where we've messed up, God. You know all about our trouble and, and, and the, the things that we do sometimes in darkness. It's hidden and nobody ever gets an opportunity to see it. God, you know all about those things. But yet you're full of grace and you accept us and love us and embrace us. And God, we repent right now. we will continue to repent to have our minds our attitudes changed by you that we can be a more grace-filled people god i even want people to look at us and say if you only knew the kind of person that was at your church right If you only knew that person whose hand you were shaking, if you only knew that person you were hugging and the kind of life he's lived or the kind of life she's lived, you wouldn't be doing that. We want people to look at us as a church and say that, but then to come to the realization that, yeah, we fully understand and we know the kind of life they've lived and we know the power of God's acceptance and that God's not rejecting them, and neither will we. God, help us to be a grace-filled community built on the foundation that our only sure hope is Jesus Christ. And we want as many people as possible to find Jesus and His church approachable, that they can come near and be changed. We thank you for the power of Jesus Christ that's seen in the resurrection. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.